For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right. I was going to just release the kids, but there's no kids. So um, you guys can just sit down and, and do your thing. I'm going to get this out of my way. There we go. That doesn't look awkward. Uh, okay, Isaiah 9. Uh, really, we're just looking at 6 today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you're new um, here or online, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in our third week of our Christmas series, which we have, and I think very accurately titled, Christmas in Chaos. Uh, it's a great name. And actually, if you look at the logo, I wanted there to be flames on the tree, but Mike said no. So could have been even cooler. Um, um, what we've been doing, is we, we've been looking at these two verses and really looking at the different titles given to the Messiah uh, in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Um, so you can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And today we're going to check out Wonderful Counselor. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the story that you've written for all of creation, and that though we are rebellious, uh, you still offer grace, and you still call us to know you, and, and you promise to fix all of this crazy brokenness. Um, I ask that you would speak to us through your word. I ask that you would help us to enjoy your word and long for it, and that our hearts would be toward you continuously rather than other things. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help me to um, stay on track, um, to be wise in what is said. Help me to only speak what you would, uh, and, and keep, keep all of our minds clear and focused and our hearts opened. Uh, thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I'm not going to read it again, but um, I think it's important to remind ourselves of what's been happening in the book of Isaiah leading up to this point. Um, because if I'm honest, I would have forgotten if I were you. Um, but since I'm writing the sermon, I have to remember it's my job. Uh, so the structure of Isaiah is, is that it is both a book of judgment and a book of hope. So, so far, Isaiah has been commissioned by God. We see this really cool scene uh, before him as he stands before God, and, and this angel takes this coal, and Isaiah recognizes how evil he is and how... how how broken he is, and he thinks that this coal is essentially going to light him on fire and destroy him, but it doesn't. It cleanses him. It's an image. And, and in that, he is then commissioned by God to warn the people of Israel of the coming judgment of God because of their rebellion uh, against him. And this is going to cause a couple things. Uh, God warns Isaiah that as he does this and, and tells them about the story of God and what God's calling him to do, that the people's hearts are just going to get harder toward him. So he's going to have a real bummer ministry. Uh, but even though that there's going to be judgment, that there's hope in that. And so Isaiah goes to the people, warning them of 
the judgment of God because of their rebellion. Specifically, Isaiah warns a guy named King Ahaz. Uh, King Ahaz is kind of just a derp as a king. He's not really good at what he does in following God, and he's getting himself into like problems and wars, and he, he's idolatrous, and just not the guy that you want to see leading the people of God because he keeps leading them away from God. Um, and so he's done a lot of not great things in his rebellion, and Isaiah tells him, because of these things, the Lord is going to bring Assyria and use Assyria to come and wipe you out. They are going to destroy Jerusalem. But we find uh, that there's, there's something to hope for in that bad news because God tells Isaiah that he's going to bring up a new king and, and that new king's name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, so Jerusalem is facing very dark times leading up to this point. Literally, uh, chapter 8, verse 22 says, it ends with, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So there's distress and anguish and darkness and pain. And, and that's how Isaiah 8 closes is just in this angst and pain and turmoil of what's going to happen when Assyria comes. And then in the middle of all of that, Isaiah 9 comes into view. And it's essentially a poem of hope in the midst of judgment, hope in the midst of chaos and distress. And today we're going to look at and study the title Wonderful Counselor and ask some questions about how that impacts our lives today, specifically in the chaos of 2020. Uh, what does it mean to have um, this, this God, this new king who's called Wonderful Counselor? Um, and so I want to start the study by talking about the importance of punctuation. I know I'm not the guy to give a grammar lesson. I did write a book, though, and there's some misspellings in it, I found. Um, but punctuation. Uh, punctuation is, is really, really important because it, it determines how you understand and how you read sentences. And what's really fascinating about punctuation is that ancient Hebrew and Greek did not have any punctuation, uh, which complicates things. Um, actually, it wasn't invented even until, until a couple centuries after Jesus ascended and went back to the Father, which is pretty neat, I think so. Um, that also means that when the Bible was originally written, what you're looking at uh, this, it didn't look like this at all. Uh, it didn't contain any punctuation, period. All of, all of the punctuation that you see in your scripture, I know, just hang on there. I've said punctuation a lot, I just realized. Um, but, but all of that was, that, that came in as we were translating scriptures by we, not me personally, the collective Christian community. Um, and, and this makes me very excited about this passage, um, and this should make you excited because the lack of punctuation has caused a very long debate about these two words, wonderful and counselor. You guys didn't know you are going to get all this great information, did you? You're stoked. I can tell. Um, and what I really love about this, this punctuation issue is that the debate is literally reflected in the Bible that you're looking at. So you've seen this, this debate that is hundreds of years old, 
Uh, and you can physically see it represented in the different versions of Scripture that we all use. So we've joined, without knowing it, you joined a theological debate and took a side, an accident probably, because you probably weren't looking at this verse when you chose your Bible and said, punctuation, guys. Um, and, and I love this, um, and this is really important. So, so I'm going to tell you what the debate is, um, and then we'll take a vote. And here's what we're going to do. Um, if you are online, um, you're going to take a side by putting a thumbs up. Can someone put a thumbs up up over there? Show me what you got. You got a thumb? There you go. James, James is a Christian. Um, and here, you're going to pick a side by, by doing another thumbs up over here. And we'll have great unity in our church after this. Um, okay, so here's the debate. Should there be a comma after the word wonderful? I know, I really like, that was a long intro to get to that question. Should there be a comma after the word, no voting yet, um, after the word wonderful? Now, here's why that's important. If there's not a comma, you have this, this new king will be a wonderful counselor. If you do have a comma, you have this king who will be wonderful and this king who will be a counselor. That's important. That's a distinction that should be made. So we're going to vote. Um, so uh, if you're reading the ESV, I'm going to give you an example. My ESV, there's no comma. Um, but if you're reading a New King James Version, there is a comma. And so your versions disagree with one another. Get it together. Um, so the debate is literally in front of you. You can see it, and we're going to vote. So if you are for the comma being there, you want a comma after wonderful, do your thumbs up. I'm going to vote on both. So, so one, two, three, four, five, six. I feel like you got a half. I'm going to give you, no? You're, you're, okay, what do we got on, on line? Six? Oh, we got, people seem passionate about this, and they've never heard of it before. Okay, I think I saw, saw three? Three? So nine? Nine? Okay, if you, if you are anti-comma in Scripture, double hand down, or thumbs up, sorry. Uh, one, two, ooh, most, most people, most, okay, this is, this is really good to know. Everybody here is doing two thumbs, which I'm just going to count as, as a tally, and now we know where we are as a church. We've made history. Um, I'm proud of you guys. Way to go. Um, so, so wonderful counselor or wonderful counselor, you guys like wonderful counselor. Um, I'm pretty firmly in the comma section and I've got the microphone. So I'm going to tell you why. Uh, um, let's, okay, so there's a few reasons why I, I believe that a comma should be here. Uh, not because I'm a grammatical expert or a Hebrew uh, expert or anything like that, um, but because of the word itself. And so we're going to do like a, a little nerdy word study, which can't be much nerdy. Like, it's not more nerdy than the fact that y'all just voted on a comma in church and you enjoyed it. That's a problem. Um, so let's look at the word wonderful because um, the, the, the meaning itself is the reason why I believe that there should be a comma. Um, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first time that this word 
This Hebrew word for wonderful, it's Pele, um, is used in scripture. It is in Exodus chapter 15. And this is very interesting. Uh, the Israelites had just crossed the Red Sea, which was miraculous. Uh, after they had fled Egypt, which was miraculous, uh, after all these plagues and all this amazing thing, they, so they cross the sea and they get on the other side and they're, they're safe. And like the Egyptians have just been like wiped out. And, and there's a chapter 15, it's called the Song of Moses. But Moses and the people sing a song. In verse 11, they sing this sentence. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Pele. That's the same word as in Isaiah 9, uh, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, Because in Exodus, it's talking about the miraculous events performed, and it uses that word. And then here, it's giving it like a a title of somebody. And so you're you're like an event title. It's it's interesting. It's it's a little weird. so, so we've got this word, wonders, and, and here it's, it's miracles God performed is the first time it's used. And, and then if you do a quick word study, which I know all of you guys do on a very regular basis, uh, what you'll find is that this word is used for miracles a lot. Like the majority of times in scripture, this title, wonderful, is used as wonders or miraculous or miracle over and over and over again. And if you really dug in and spent some more time studying excessively on how to parse out this word, you would probably find that the, a better translation for it wouldn't be wonderful, uh, mostly because we misuse the word wonderful today. We call everything wonderful. I, my dog is wonderful. Oh, mm. Food is wonderful. Uh, people are wonderful. Uh, you're, you're different wonderful than food. Uh, and so, so we... We kind of overuse this word, and it's lost its meaning. And so uh, a better translation might be beyond comprehension. Um, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing things beyond our comprehension. That's how Exodus 15 would, would read it. Here it would be, his name shall be called beyond our comprehension, counselor. See why the comma? comes in there a little bit. You guys are just staring at me uh, like you hate me, and I just showed you this cool thing. Um, but but we, we call, I would say it's a, a better translation because that's exactly what a miracle is. And if it's used uh, to, to tell us about mir- miraculous things, and miracles are beyond our comprehension. Uh, and, and, and when they do happen, it's absolutely baffling because they shouldn't happen. We don't have room in, in our natural laws for these miracles to, to come about. And so we'd say, man, that's beyond our comprehension. That's baffling to me. Uh, to make this even more interesting, so Pele has brothers and sister words. One's Pele with an I and Pela, and they're related to it. Uh, and, and one of them is found in Judges 13, 18. Uh, and, and Manoah, Samson's dad, uh, asked God his name, which is intriguing uh, to be able to just ask God, his name. And this happens in an event called the Theophany where God appears physically, uh, and that's a sermon for a different time. But study up on Theophanies. They're cool. Um, so Samson dad, his, Samson's dad asked God his name, and God says, <laughs> this is such a good line, why would you ask? Since my name is wonderful. And that word means 
you, you can't really understand it like it's a secret. Like you, don't, you can't get it. Uh, it's hidden for him. Uh, now, it's not the same Hebrew word, but it, it is related to it, and so they are connected in meaning. Um, but then you have to ask men, well, what, why would God say his name is a secret or unknowable? And who is it unknowable to who? And, and what God is telling Manoah is, you can't comprehend this. This is beyond you. Like, you want to know who I am? I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger than, than your, your words can define. So who's an unknowable to? Humanity. We don't really have a category big enough and vast enough to accurately contain and describe what God is and the fullness of who he is, although we can make great attempts. But if you read through scripture, what you'll find is most of the names of God are descriptions of what he does or what attributes he has. Because we're trying to describe this being that is beyond every rule and law we know. And even when God describes himself to his people, he describes himself in terms that we can understand. So the, the Hebrew phrase for God, um, Jehovah Jireh, is God the provider. And we connect these things. Oh, we know he's God. He's the one who provides. Uh, we know he's God because we call him judge and judges, Elohim. These are, these are attributes of who he is. And so he's giving us language and, and terms that we can understand. And if you look at Jesus, he is truly baffling. I mean, if, if we're looking at there's a son given, a child born, and we recognize, okay, that's Jesus, this term, beyond comprehension, wonderful, describes him very, very well. He is wonderful and beyond comprehension. And I think we forget this. How Jesus came and what he did are impossible. Um, I, I, we've got friends who are not believers. They live on the same street as us. And, and I think they think I'm crazy. I kind of know it. Um, and I know why. Like when a, non, a non-believer is like, how could you be a Christian? Like you believe this? That makes sense to me. I understand how I look crazy. I mean, my entire worldview and career, essentially my life and existence, centers on a Middle Eastern man born of a virgin that I think is God. That is baffling. That's beyond comprehension. That that God would be born as a human. But it happened. Hundreds and thousands of people witnessed his miracles and and his resurrection. And those people told the story and wrote down the story at risk of dying because of it. I believe it, but that's amazing that God would come as a man, that he would resurrect. God becoming a man to sacrifice himself to save a broken humanity and world is beyond my comprehension. But it happened and God did that. Is that not amazing to you? I wonder if we have forgotten how wonderful and miraculous and beyond our understanding God is. And I wonder what his people would look like if they were amazed by him again. So Isaiah, after 
seeing a vision and being commissioned by God and not getting burned up in his brokenness and sin, standing before a righteous God, rather he's cleansed and commissioned. When he describes the eternal king, he says, this king is wonderful. He is by nature miraculous and beyond my comprehension. So that's wonderful. And that's also why I think there should be a comma there because if he's wonderful in his nature, then he can be a wonderful counselor as well because it describes the rest. So pro comma, <laughs> nobody else gets to vote but me now. Um, so so that's, half, that's half our sermon. We're doing good. Our sermon is only on two words, but we're, we're moving along and I'm proud of you. And maybe some of you guys have switched teams. Anybody switched team to the comments? Yeah, Josh did. Okay, you're safe now. Um, nobody else. That's because I'm a great preacher. Okay. Um, wonderful counselor. Counselor. Um, counselor means just that. Counselor. One who counsels. Uh, so no cool things there to vote about. Um, maybe at our next members meeting we'll find something. Uh, but I do find it interesting because later on in the book of Isaiah, he describes the counsel of God. In Isaiah chapter 28, 29, it says this. He is wonderful in counsel. Again, that's not the same word. That's not Pele. Um, it's one of the sister words. Uh, this one is Pela. Uh, it's, it's close. Um, but, but what he's pairing for people is to say, the counsel of God is beyond what I would ever think. How God does things and operates and, and how he views the world and history and, and how he deals with politics and pandemics. That he, he does it in ways that reflect the fact that he's beyond comprehension. God's, God will counsel in ways we will never think of. And we've looked at this already, but I want to remind you that God has told his people through Isaiah, I'm bringing in Assyria. They are going to wipe you out. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. But you have a hope. And what what does God say is their hope? For unto us a child is born. How is God going to redeem his people? For unto us a child is born. Who will crush the head of the serpent? A baby born from a virgin. When you think of nations at war, you don't think of come in as an infant, you'll win. You think of come in dramatic with power. You need more military and more weapons and and, and greater strength. And and God's counsel is, no, no, no. I'm going to come in not as the fullness of who I am and just wipe them out. I'm going to come in as an infant and depend on them and live with them and care for them and weep for them. And then... I'm going to allow them to kill me so I can defeat death. He doesn't come in over the top of people. He comes in as a servant. That's not how I would counsel. God's counsel and his ways are are so different than ours. Love your enemy. Is that not strange counsel? But Jesus said it, and then he did it. Don't repay evil for evil. I'm working on this with my kids. Like, 
I'm brought up in bad counsel, and, and yet Christ comes and he says, no, 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 when someone does something evil to you, you don't repay it, you forgive them. Not just once, like a bunch, over and over and over and over again. That's odd counsel. That doesn't make, how do I get what? My rights from that. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Take care of the foreigner and prisoner and orphaned and widowed. God has strains counsel. But what's, what's also interesting about how we approach God as counselor, this is a thing that I've done, and I'm sure most of us here at some point have, is we come in and say, God is my counselor. Uh, he's the best counselor because he knows what's in the heart of man, right? Remember that? Like Jesus didn't need to question them because he knew what was in their hearts. So he's the best counselor. This is all right and good. So I can go to God with every question. That's fine. And he will give me a verse or a sign about what I'm supposed to do. That's probably not the thing you want to do. Um, so what tends to happen is you've got a problem, like you need a job or something. And you're like, God, am I supposed to take this job? And you, you open your Bible, and you're right back in Isaiah 9-6. That didn't work. And you find a verse. Um, oh, no, this is great. And you come across Isaiah 9-10. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. And you're like, the job was as a contractor? I'm supposed to take this job. Probably not. Probably not. Um, or, or, or you take just a random sign. Like, I saw a caterpillar, and the company is caterpillar. And you're like, this is amazing. Um, I'm not saying, here's what I'm not saying. Uh, well, one, I have done this. <laughs> so I'm not mocking you alone. I'm mocking me with you. Um, and I'm not saying that God can't do that. Um, he can totally speak to you, to you in that way. What I am saying is that it's pretty unusual. Uh, instead, instead of thinking God's got a verse for every intricate part of my life, we should say um, God has given us an entire book about the direction of history in creation and the world. And I should learn that story. That story should be the thing that informs all the things I do. And that book is your Bible. So you literally have access to the counsel of God all the time, especially if you have the Bible app. Then it's literally in your pocket all day, every day. And, and you can bathe in the counsel of God and learn it and memorize it. And, and I think the problem has been is that we get so concerned with God answering our personal desires that we've forgotten what he's already told us. Why is there death? Why is there war? Why are there pandemics, political strife, people losing their minds and anger at one another? Uh, why, why is there pain? And what is God doing about it? God has given his counsel on this, and it is miraculous and wonderful. And we call it the gospel. Now, the problem is, just to be frank, most Christians don't know the gospel. It's very frustrating. Um, it's not frustrating in that, like, I'm like, I am frustrated with you. It's that we haven't been taught it well. We've been taught this really weird, individualized thing that 
And it's not wrong, but if you were to ask most people, most Christians, what the gospel is, they would say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I get to go to heaven. That is part of the gospel, but that does not explain Genesis or Exodus or Acts. It doesn't take in the full counsel of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's doing. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the gospel just as the most simple, plain way that we can see the whole Bible as one unified book. That is the good news that God is acting and what he's doing in the earth. So from Genesis to Revelation, um, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to explore the whole counsel of God as quickly as possible. Um, so you guys down for this? Yeah? Yeah, this is good. This is also helpful for when you're trying to speak to people to give a better worldview of why you love Jesus because he's so wonderful and such a great counselor. Um, The gospel starts with the story of creation in Genesis 1 through 2. Uh, We see that God has ordered the universe and earth and made all things and calls it good. Now, there's differing opinions on how he ordered it. Figure that out. Um, I'm not super concerned with that. I don't think that is the apex. The fact is, what it's pointing to is like, they're looking at the world and it said, God designed this and created it and called it good. And at the crown of creation is mankind. And there's something unique about mankind and, and, and good about mankind. In Genesis 3, mankind rebels against God. That rebellion brings death and pain and destruction and reveals why all of us can be selfish, prideful, lustful, angry, why we say mean things, and why we do things and say things that we regret later. Sin. We call it sin. Um, We call it the fall in Genesis 3. It should not be called the fall. It should not be called the fall. It should be called the great rebellion. The rebellion of people against God then that theme travels through the rest of Scripture. So that's a line that you can follow all the way from creation to the redemption of new things. Um, And then then we jump from Genesis 3 to 12. Now, just as a side note, a nerd thing that's not in here, but I think is really interesting, if you were to read Genesis 1 through 11, you would get the entire story of the gospel as as in a view almost as you'd get it from Genesis to Revelation. It's like Genesis 1 through 11 is an introduction prelude and tells you how the story's gonna go. Um, That being said, so so reread those with that mindset. It's really interesting. Um, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham um, and he makes a promise. Now the promise that he makes Abraham is echoing the promise that he already made to Eve, that there'd be a son, Uh, a human born of a woman that would crush the head of the serpent and destroy evil. And then you have 4 through 11. And then out out of all the people and all the earth, God calls Abraham in Genesis 12 and he makes a promise. So that's the next step. So if you're really shorthand, we've got creation, rebellion, promise. And God promises Abraham that his descendants will become a people group and a nation Uh, And that a child, the child promised to Eve is going to come from his lineage. And as God's nation, this is their, their goal as a people group, they are to be a blessing to all nations. And what we see is that that people group that comes from Abraham 
are terrible at being a blessing to all nations. I mean, it is like these people stink at humanity. Um, they would all be shunned. They're terrible people. Um, and you're like, wow, but you're supposed to be a blessing. You're a terrible blessing. Uh, but there will be someone from this lineage that will be a blessing to all nations. And, and if, you, if you kind of just read those sections, what you realize is if redemption and destroying evil and the serpent and making us right with God again is dependent on mankind, we are out of luck. Like, there's no hope because even the quote-unquote Bible heroes, men and women of faith, are like terrible. They're just terrible, which actually gives me hope as a human, just as an aside. So when you read about these terrible things, you're like, Abraham gave his wife away like three times. What a loser. She'd be like, I'm terrible too. Let's be friends, Abe. Um, so the terribleness of these people, they, they, it gives me hope. Um, and, and then God renews that promise over and over and over. So you have all these covenants that, that God makes with all these people in scripture. And he keeps saying, don't worry, I'm, I'm bringing someone. And he's doing it right here in Isaiah. A child will be born. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm coming, I'm coming and I'm bringing someone who's going to destroy the serpent and, and evil. But he has to keep renewing it because his people stink. Uh, and then that happens over and over and over until we get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's where we see Jesus, the crucifixion and resurrection of the one who blesses all nations because God has sacrificed himself absorbing his own wrath and giving Jesus' followers righteousness instead. Okay, so Jesus, the, the crucifixion resurrection is the apex of the story. Okay, so this is why we mostly stand here. We're like, Jesus died for my sins and now I get to know him. That's true, but there's so much more to this story. And why, why does Jesus have to die for your sins? And why are people in general kind of rude and selfish that, that's all leading up into this. And, and why does God care? That's all coming up. And so you have the, the apex of the story is crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and in a sense, when he does that and he calls his followers, Jesus is kind of beginning the process of redeeming all things. So we're kind of like, some of us, I'm redeemed. I've been given the righteousness of Christ and yet the world is still kind of a dumpster fire in many ways. And so there's a beginning of redemption, but not fully redeemed yet. So we have creation, rebellion, promise, crucifixion, resurrection, uh, or, or just, you can just put Jesus. And then the book of Acts tells us the next step in the good news. Uh, God created the church, his people. Um, and his people are not just from the lineage of Abraham. They don't have to be Jewish. They can be Gentile too. And so it's like this mixing, they're grafting in. And so God designed the church, his followers, and he gave them two commands and a mission so that they could mimic Jesus in small ways and in small ways redeem like Jesus redeemed. Um, which is really cool if you think about this. The, the church offers good news because we follow the, the two commandments. We love God and we love our neighbor, uh, even if they are our enemy. Uh, and our mission is to tell everyone about the good news of God's plan while caring for the world and the people that God created. So we get to like join in on the redemption train that Jesus started. The redemption train is never a phrase I've ever said, uh, but I just did. Um, and so, so we, get to, we get to partake in this act with Christ. We get to partner with God until the final redemption of all things 
happened. And what book is that revealed in? I'll give you a hint. It's revealed. Yeah, Revelation. Man, you guys are great. Uh, everybody thinks Revelation as like a terrible name. It's like Revelation. It just means revealed. Like God's like, hey, I'm revealing to you what I'm doing, and it's that I'm redeeming all things. Um, so that's, that's the gospel. That's God's counsel to us. Uh, now, there's obviously way more. I mean, I spent a long time trying to just squish this uh, because each one of those could be like nine sermon series. Um, but that's the gospel, God's counsel to us. Um, and you can learn more about the gospel uh, that kind of springboards off this basic version. Creation, God made all things good. Rebellion, why bad stuff happens and why people can be bad. Promise, God will redeem. He's not just left us to ourselves. Uh, crucifixion and, and resurrection, the apex of the story, God becoming a man, absorbing his wrath and giving us righteousness and sending us out to tell people about the good news of the gospel, the church where we are right now, where we can love God and love others and spread the good news and, and, and kind of take part in the redemption that, that Jesus is doing. And lastly, the redemption finalized of all things, God fixes all of the brokenness and dwells with us on the new earth, the redeemed earth. That's a good story. Like that's a really good story. And it's very different than the one I would have written were I in God's throne. Um, these little dirt creatures I made rebel against me. I'm gonna squish them. Like I'm done with them. But God doesn't. God says, yeah, you rebelled and your rebellion causes you to harm one another and to, to be separated from me and to destroy the earth and I'm not going to abandon you. I'm, I'm gonna engage. I'm gonna press in and I'm gonna tell you that there's hope. There's, there's gonna be a child born. He's gonna, he's gonna fix it. He's gonna get rid of evil. He's gonna crush the head of the serpent, Satan. He's gonna redeem all things and you could be with us. And when I think about that story, when I think about these two words, it leaves me with a question. What counsel or story is shaping my life? What counsel or story is shaping your life? As followers of Jesus, the gospel shapes us, supposed to shape us. But I wonder if we haven't been shaped more by the story of politics or disease or echo chambers or culture. I wonder if we spend so much time engaging with those stories and little to no time engaging with this story if we won't look, well, if we wouldn't look like Christians at all. You can't be shaped by the gospel and not look like Jesus you better be very careful about what story is actually shaping you because that could shape you away from him. And as followers of Jesus, uh, the gospel should shape us and, and, I, and I want it to shape us. And so I'd really encourage you guys to take seriously the reading of the Bible, to know it so that it can shape you. And fellowship, that shapes you. Fellowship with Christians and singing together and praying together and taking communion, maybe not right now, together, uh, but allow the gospel in to shape you and know the gospel. 
And so I think it's important because I'm going to be honest, I am shaped by many things, many things. And I study the Bible quite a bit and I still find it having a less shaping effect on me than whatever cultural thing I'm a part of in that moment. Um, and so I recognize I got, I've got things in my lives, that I, in my lives, just the one life, uh, that, that is really forming me away from Christ. And I want to be formed by the wonderful counselor who is both wonderful and a counselor. And so I think we should confess that to God together. And, and we're going to have a time of silent confession. And that's, we're doing this because we recognize those things exist. And, and when I'm formed by things that are not the gospel and are not following Christ, I do really terrible things. I think terrible thoughts. I say terrible things. Uh, and, and so I need to confess those and say, man, God, that wasn't right. And I apologize. Please, please give me grace. I thank you for the forgiveness that you provide. As, as a follower of Jesus, and, and help me not to do that again and to be reformed by you. So I'm going to start, I'm going to pray a little bit, uh, and then I'm going to leave two minutes of silent confession where you guys can talk to God yourself. And then I'll pray again to close this out before we, we sing a song of, of confession and then of thanksgiving. Um, Father, um, those two little words are really important. Wonderful counselor. And I was really challenged and convicted this week as I was writing the sermon about how I don't consider the things that are written in this book astounding. They should blow me away. And yet I read them as stories, almost as stories that don't have impact. Uh, And I also recognize that I am shaped by many things. And I don't spend enough time shaping myself around the gospel and allowing the gospel to shape what I love and what I believe and what I do. And so often I am more selfish or prideful than I should be. Um, And I don't seek after you like I would like to. And I'd like to confess those things for all of us here as a representative and and leader in this community. God, we're not very good at this. And I thank you that you didn't abandon Abraham when he gave his wife away like three times. Or Joseph as, a, as an arrogant young kid. I thank you that you promised to, to walk with us. And so as we confess, I said you'd help us to take this very seriously. And then remind us of your goodness and your patience.